Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon. I'm Jessica Groskopf, an extension educator and regional economist for the Panhandle region in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Today, we are pleased to be joined by Roger Berry, administrator at the Nebraska Ethanol Board. The independent state agency was founded in 1971 and works to ensure strong public policy and consumer support of biofuels. The Nebraska Ethanol Board designs and manages programs to expand production, market access, worker safety, and technology innovation, including recruitment of producers interested in developing conventional ethanol, as well as bioproducts from ethanol platform. Barry is from Nebraska, farmed in the state, and has served in senior positions in agriculture organizations, including over three years as the Director of Market Development at the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, let's welcome Roger. Thank you for that introduction, Jessica. I certainly do appreciate it. And before I start, I do want to give my thanks to the uh, UNL uh, Department of Agricultural Economics and this uh, Farm and Ranch Management webinar series. You're bringing some great topics that uh, need to be discussed and uh, hope that today's presentation, you will find it is a, also one of those very important topics. We uh, have seen uh, the importance of ethanol over the past several decades increase more and more in this state. And that's, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about here today. So with that, I'm going to switch. I have a PowerPoint presentation. I'm going to switch to that PowerPoint presentation and we will get started. So as I, as I thought about this uh, presentation, I thought maybe the best way to talk about how COVID-19 is affecting the ethanol industry was to explore it in this way. So that's why I titled this Ethanol, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. So real quickly, what our agenda is going to be today is I've broken this down into those, those areas, but I've also added an extra one in there called Almost Today. So with yesterday, we're gonna do a quick overview of where the ethanol industry was prior to COVID-19. And then I'm gonna throw that other category in there called almost today, which basically is going to be the past two to three years and some of the factors that we had going on that was actually weakening the ethanol industry before we even got hit with this, uh, this uh, pandemic called COVID-19. And then we'll go into where we are at today, what's the effects of COVID-19 been on the ethanol industry. And then I wanna talk a little bit about tomorrow. Is there a future in uh, ethanol in Nebraska? and in this nation. So let's get started on yesterday. In Nebraska, we have 25 ethanol production facilities in the state. Our Nebraska plants have a capacity to produce 2.6 billion gallons of ethanol. 
I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth between how this relates to Nebraska and how this relates to the nation. So I, I'll be throwing things in there. I'll, I'll try to make sure that I'm letting you know when I'm talking about Nebraska and when I'm talking about uh, from a national point of view. So from a national point of view, there's 204 ethanol production facilities and with a capacity to produce 16.542 billion gallons. Now you'll see that there's a total capacity of 16.5 and Nebraska has a, uh, the capability to produce 2.6. That puts Nebraska as the number two ethanol producer in the nation. We are rivaled only by Iowa to our east. So in 2019, Nebraska produced 2.1 billion gallons of ethanol using over 700 million bushels of Nebraska corn, which that equates to 35.3% of the total corn grown in Nebraska in 2019. So for the farmers who are on this call today, you can begin to see very, very quickly just how important the ethanol industry is to your bottom line, especially if you, if you grow corn. Now, of course, there uh, are other things. Sorghum is used in, in uh, the production of ethanol, and wheat in the past has even been used in the production of ethanol. But the majority of what we use is corn, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So before I leave from this slide, I just want to point out, you might notice that I, uh, on the second bullet point, I mentioned 2.6 billion gallons. And on the uh, uh, fifth bullet point, I mentioned 2.1 billion gallons. So what's, what's the deal there? Our plants have not been running at full capacity over the past few years. So, well, we've actually never been up to full capacity. That 2.6 billion gallons is what the nameplate capacity of our plants are here in Nebraska. And that's what we often use to what, what it is that we can produce in the state. So I wanted to point that out to make sure everybody was, was clear on that. Nationally, over the nation, ethanol in, has consumed uh, 5.9 billion bushels of corn and that was in 2019. So there again, it is huge to the agricultural industry. In 2015, and then again in 2017, the Nebraska Ethanol Board uh, had the uh, um, Department of Economics, uh, Agricultural Economics, do up an economic impact study of what Nebraska ethanol means to the state. The, the figures that I'm going to give you today are from the last report that was done, which was 2017. So in 2017, we had almost that same amount of production. If you rounded that off, you'd be at the 2.1 billion gallons. The value of the ethanol produced was $2.87 billion. Uh, total value of, of all products that the, our ethanol plants put out, which would be the co-products, which would be corn oil, distillers grains, uh, everything that's involved there was 3.76 billion. Here's the big part for our rural communities. And keep in mind that these jobs are all in rural communities. 1,453 full-time equivalent jobs, employees, and those are direct employees of the ethanol plants. Labor income of 109 million and indirect business taxes of 13 million was paid here in the state of Nebraska. So the overall economic impact, when you take into account the spinoffs and everything that uh, the ethanol plants affect, we have an employment of 5,166 full-time equivalents, total labor income of 307 million, and a total output from our ethanol plants of $4.154 billion. Now the study in 2015 actually came up that our ethanol plants contribute a total of $5 billion to the state's economy 
And oftentimes, you'll, if you hear me talking about things, I often refer to that 5 billion because that is normally what our, our ethanol plants are going to contribute to our state. And if things would get better, we could do even better than that. But the difference between 2015 and 2017 was simply the price of ethanol. And that's why it, the uh, total, total uh, output went down just a little bit in terms of dollars. So now let's go to almost today, keeping in mind that almost today is covering the past two to three years, somewhere in that area. What are the two main things that started to weaken the ethanol industry back in 2016, 17, 18, 19, somewhere around in that area? There's two things that you can really point out. One is the small refiner exemptions and two is trade. The small refiner exemptions, we have a lot of small refiners who can, uh, according to the renewable fuel standard, can uh, request to be exempted from the renewable fuel standard. And we've seen in the last few years, the EPA uh, uh, approving a whole lot more of these requests. And there's also been a whole lot more uh, requests that have been submitted to the EPA. The other thing that we've had coming in is uh, trade restrictions with uh, some of our, our, our trade issues that we've had going on the past couple years. That has hurt real bad too. And we're gonna talk about both of these more in depth. So let's look into the small refiner exemptions. This chart kind of shows us how many there's been over the years, uh, starting in 2013. So in 2013, there were 16 petitions that were received by the EPA, and the EPA granted eight of those, denied seven. In 2014, we had 13, with eight of them issued, or eight of, eight of the grants issued, and five denied. And then in 2015, we had 14 uh, that had petitioned for a small refining exemption with seven of those grants uh, that were issued and six that were denied. Now 2016 is when it starts getting a little bit interesting. We start seeing an increase in the uh, petitions for those small refinery exemptions. So in 2016, we have 20. 2017, it grows to 37. 2018, it grows to 42. And then 2019, which none of these have been uh, approved or denied yet for 2019, because it always runs a year behind uh, when EPA approves the um, uh, uh, petitions for that, uh, for the, it, it's always, for 2020, it's always gonna be doing 2019's approval on there. So EPA has not made up their mind yet on what they're going to do on any small refinery exemptions for this year. But you can see as you look at that chart that over 2016, 17, and 18, the number of grants that were issued by the EPA grew considerably. So let's look at this a little bit um, closer then. I need to move a picture box out of my way because it's blocking some of my information. In 2013, if you look at the uh, estimated gallons that each of those exemptions or that the total of those exemptions had in there. In 2013, we had 190 million gallon, 2014, 210 million. You can read the chart there. I'll, I'll go to 2016 when it really starts growing. Then you see with all the exemptions that were granted, we're up to 790 million gallon. Get to 2017, we have 1.82 billion gallons that were exempted from the renewable fuel standard. In 2018, 1.4 billion three billion gallons that were exempted 
from the renewable fuel standard. So if you add all that together, that's 4.04 billion gallons that were exempted from the renewable fuel standard. Now, those were exempted. That doesn't mean that we were actually down uh, as far as blending goes, that 4.4 billion gallons. But we could have been, there was the possibility that we could have been down that full 4.4 billion gallons. What does that do to the industry? Basically, the, and the, the biggest part of it is that it introduces uncertainty in the industry. The industry was built with the renewable fuel standard in mind, knowing that we would have that guarantee that we could produce those gallons and have a market for them. When you start taking away that, in, that certainty, that guarantee that, uh, that we don't have a place for those gallons to go, then you have that uncertainty that's coming into the market and starts depressing prices and starts making things uh, harder for the industry in order to, to make the profit they need to make in order to keep growing this industry. But what I really wanna point out here is what that means as far as bushels of corn and you can decide for yourselves how this impacts your pocketbooks then. If you look at that, the bushels of corn not used for ethanol due to these exemptions was 1,442,857,143 bushels. You're starting to talk some real dollars there that's taking away not only from the ethanol industry, but from the ag industry as a whole. Then what happened with, with exports? This is a map of exports, which was uh, made up by the U.S. Grains Council, which the Nebraska Ethanol Board is a member of the U.S. Grains Council because of the hard work that they're doing on ethanol. They, they work on the um, uh, exporting of grains in all form, and they consider ethanol to be grains in all forms. Uh, so they work very hard to increase the, the uh, exports of American to foreign nations. If you look at this map, this being 2018 and 19, if you're familiar with, with how exports, exports were prior to this, you'll see one glaring emission from this map. And that emission is China. China was our number one export place prior to the, the trade problems that we started running into. I guess we could call them trade wars. And China has not uh, imported any ethanol now for, for some time. There was a small load just the other day showed up and hopefully that's the sign of things to come uh, going into China and that will continue to grow. But uh, right now we have been absent China from the market for some time. Our potential in, in China is up to, is have been estimated at up to about 2 billion gallons. So you can see that that hurt, hurts really bad that we're not picking up those markets. Having said that, and we'll, as we'll see later on when we get into tomorrow, exports are still actually up uh, when you take into other, other countries. But just imagine what they could be if we still had China and uh, some of the countries that have dropped uh, out from exports still exporting, we would be looking at, at even further records in the exports. So the loss of that China market was another factor that came in and uh, weakened the industry and made things uh, really quite tough to where it was hard to, to turn a profit in the ethanol industry due to those two factors over the past couple of years. So a lot of our plants were going into this, this era 
of 19, what I'm calling almost today, uh, in a weakened position and um, really didn't need this pandemic to come along. So now let's transition into today. What happened that caused such a crash with our ethanol demand? This chart that you're looking at right now is a chart of the weekly gasoline demand. And before I do this, I do wanna make sure that everybody understands. I, I attended, attended a farm doc uh, webinar here a couple weeks ago, and they had charts already done up that was just going to do work perfectly for what I wanted to present here today. So I am using their charts rather than uh, going to the work of, of recreating my own. Uh, we always like to say rip off and duplicate. And I, I do thank uh, the Illinois Agriculture and, Cons and Consumer Economics for the, for the use of, of these charts. But if you look at around the middle of March, things were ticking along pretty good. We were starting to see gasoline usage go up and then COVID hit. People quit driving and you can just see the huge drop in demand of gasoline. So keep in mind that when gasoline demand drops, 10% of that gasoline is ethanol. So this is what happens to ethanol. It drops right along with it. But there's a little bit of delay in there because it takes a, it takes a while. You can't just shut an ethanol plant off. Um, the production has to continue on for a while. And two, as, as an ethanol producer, you're oftentimes thinking, well, we'll just go into storage with this. We'll keep producing because it's expensive to shut a plant down. Expensive to run a plant too if you're not making any money or losing money. But sometimes it's, it's the worst of the two evils that you have to take into consideration. But um, what happened basically when you see the sharp drop there in ethanol, it was lagged a little bit from the, the uh, drop, sharp drop in gasoline usage because storage started to run out. All storage places were getting completely full and there was simply nowhere to go with the ethanol. That's when we started seeing plants shut down here in the state of Nebraska. And we'll get into, I'll break those numbers down a little bit for you as to how many plants we had that um, did uh, idle down. I say shut down, I don't, I don't like to use that word because they, don't, they didn't shut down. They idled down, simply weren't producing ethanol anymore. They still had uh, things that needed to be done in those plants, they didn't just close the doors. But that gives you an idea of the sharp drops that happened when, when uh, COVID-19 hit the shores of the United States. Right there, this shows graphically exactly what I was talking about when I mentioned the fact that um, the stocks just grew and grew and grew. They hit record stocks there about uh, the end of April, first part of May. And as I mentioned before, there was just simply nowhere to go with the ethanol at that time. <clears throat> so maybe something a little more near and dear to a lot of your hearts then is where we were at um, in regards to corn usage. You see the very same drops in corn usage at about that same time, uh, in that April, May time frame, as what you saw in uh, uh, fuel usage and ethanol production. So in March, if you look at the red lines there, which is 2019, 2020, which is used for ethanol, you see from March to April, you have a huge drop in corn grind going into ethanol. 
There again, it's because plants were idling down all across the nation. What was happening with, with ethanol prices? This is information that uh, comes from USDA and uh, they use Iowa as a representative plant, but uh, it would be the very same effect in Nebraska, of course. You, you see, um, actually, if you look at this price on the charts, you can see exactly what I was talking about, about yesterday, almost today, and today. As you look at 2014, things were humming along pretty good. We get into 2014, going into 2015, and we have a huge drop in prices. That's when we start in on the SREs, exports start uh, going bad and all the, all the other factors, but those two main factors that I talked about before. Things throughout 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018 were just coasting along, uh, kind of going in and out of profitability for the plants. Um, in a lot of situations, using up uh, money that the cash that they may have had on hand. And then we get to 2000, the end of 2019 into 2020. And that's when you see the huge drop. At one point, uh, ethanol dropped down to around 60 to 70 cents, I believe it was, possibly even 50 cents uh, in some markets. Uh, we are seeing an increase now, though, as plants do start to come back online and, and more demand for that ethanol. So now let's go in and discuss today just a little bit. Where are we at nationally? As of May 19th, 2020, and these are numbers that I got from the Renewable Fuels Association, only 60 of the nation's 204 ethanol plants were running at normal output rates, with the remaining 144 either completely or partially idled. More than 40% of the country's ethanol production capacity remains offline. And at the height of this, we had a right around 50% of the nation's ethanol capacity that was offline due to the, the big reduction in uh, demand for ethanol due to the reduction in, well, basically due to people parking their cars and staying home. Let's look at Nebraska. When we were in the worst of the situation, uh, the worst of our plant closures and cutbacks occurred. And there again, I use that word closures. I should have put that. Plant idlings is what I want to use. And cutbacks occurred at the end of March into the first part of April. In that time, frame, Nebraska had 11 of its 25 ethanol plants idled and another three running at reduced capacity. And these, these are numbers that I uh, was, was able to, to get. They may not be completely accurate, but they're pretty close representation of what the, what the industry looked like. The one that was a little harder to really track and, and, and uh, get a handle on is those that reduce capacity. They're a little bit harder to know on that. So that number may not be accurate, but I figured that we were down about 42% of uh, what our normal production, normal capacity in the state of Nebraska would be. So we fared a little bit better during the worst of the time um, than what nationally did, because it was about 50% nationally. But uh, if you take into account other plants that were probably running at reduced capacity, it might have pushed us up around that 45%, which would be get us, getting us pretty close to right in line with what the normal was across the nation. Things are looking up though. I, I don't wanna leave everybody with a, a bad taste in your mouth and thinking that uh, the ethanol industry is, is going to remain that way because it's not. As of May 26, 2020, we now only have seven plants that are idle. And from last that I can tell, 
two that are at reduced production. And I see I used the correct word on this slide. So, so this has an improvement of the amount of production capacity offline to 32.5%. So we've increased 10 percentage points in the amount of capacity or in our capacity that's, that's offline here in the state of Nebraska. I think that's great. I think that's huge to the economy here in Nebraska and to our plants here in the state of Nebraska. For those plants that have been able to come back online, it's huge. And for those plants that are still idled, it gives them hope too that the day is coming that they'll be able to bring production back up. So now let's take a, a look for a few minutes at tomorrow. Is the future promising for Nebraska ethanol? I think it is. I, um, I, I'm a person that looks at, at things uh, as the glass is half full. And most of the time, there, I have my times when I, I don't see it that way, but with ethanol, I'm looking at it as the glass is half full. But there's so many things that come into account for what happens in ethanol. And one of the big things is what will the federal government do? What will EPA decide to do next that uh, could possibly harm ethanol? Uh, as we talked about over the past few years, the uh, uh, small refinery exemptions have been very detrimental to the, to the uh, industry. And uh, as we mentioned, 2019 still is not decided. There's 27 applications in. If they would go ahead and approve those, which basically would be against a court order, that they have um, from the 10th Circuit Court, then we um, will have, have more troubles and continue to see depressed prices. Uh, we are going on the hope that EPA will come to their senses and realize that what they're doing goes against what the renewable fuel standard has that is actual law, and they will pay attention to the law and not approve all of those uh, small refinery exemptions when they aren't, uh, they aren't uh, worthy of being uh, exempted. Now, don't get me wrong, the small refinery exemptions, exemptions are part of the renewable fuel standard law. And I don't think there's anybody in the ethanol industry that would deny that there may be some small refiners who due to the renewable fuel standard and the, the uh, 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 mixing of, of ethanol into our fuel supply could put some of those small refiners due to the infrastructure that they would have to invest in at risk of uh, having economic damage. But it certainly is not all of the applications that EPA is receiving. We have some of the bigger oil companies who have put applications in and we know darn good and well that it's not due to ethanol that uh, there may be some economic hardships there. So it's a lot depends on what happens with the federal government as to what the, uh, what the uh, production levels look like in the future. Opportunities to build out our fuel infrastructure. Um, one of the things that's been holding us back is, and I'm gonna be quite honest about this. For those of you who know me, I, I don't mince words and uh, I, I just kind of put things out there as it is. We tell people all the time, we, we promote ethanol all the time, we educate people about all, ethanol all the time, but if they can't get it when they pull into their local fuel station, it does absolutely no good. So one of the things we've been working hard on hard, and the Nebraska Corn Board has been working very hard on over the years, is fuel infrastructure. 
not only here in Nebraska, but across the nation. We continue to work with those fuel, uh, fuel retailers, um, showing them the, the opportunities that they have by converting their stations into offering higher blends of ethanol. Especially uh, with E15 now approved year round, in some situations, there's really not a lot has to be done with those stations. And um, um, they can make a very quick and a very inexpensive uh, um, addition to their, to their fuel offerings for their, for their customers to offer E15. Uh, there's several programs that are going on right now too. As I mentioned, the Corn Board, they have grants and ha have had for years that they help fuel uh, retailers with. We also have uh, a new program that's just started from USDA called the uh, HBIP. Um, I should have written out what that stands for and I didn't, uh, but it's the Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program. There's is what that stands for. And this is a $100 million national program uh, through USDA that is just getting up and going and is in the application phase right now. So we're hoping to get a lot of utilization of that USDA money here in Nebraska and can build out the infrastructure even greater yet. And then uh, we, we also have a uh, LB 585, which is uh, a bill that was approved, that was uh, passed, oh, I think uh, last legislative session but it was passed with, with no funding. And uh, we do have a uh, avenue now for funding with the Nebraska Environmental Trust that is going to be voted on later this, this uh, in first part of June is when that, June 11, is when that meeting takes, takes place to vote on the, the funding for that. And we're hoping that that passes. And um, because ethanol is certainly a very big part of our environment and fits right along with the with the uh, um, job that uh, Nebraska um, Environmental Trust has uh, according to their, their legislation. Another big part is what, per what personal decisions will you make? For those of you who are listening or attending here today, the personal decisions that you make as far as your use of higher blends of ethanol or even using E10 versus using um, uh, straight gasoline that has no ethanol in it makes a huge difference. Now, I have two, two sub bullet points here and I, I use a pretty strong word in here, but like I said, I don't mince words. I could have said in here, will you allow people to believe the outright, outright mistruths that we hear all the time? Uh, the sleight of the hand uh, topics that people talk about. I like to call them what they are, they're lies. That's all they are. I get in trouble sometimes for using that word, but you know, <laughs> I, I, it doesn't bother me uh, to get in trouble for, for simply putting the, the truth to a lie out there. For those who oppose ethanol, uh, for the past 30, 40 years, they've had a, a campaign out there that's based on lies, and they've been doing it so long, and they have so much money to do it to keep it out there all the time that people actually believe it. I, I just want to assure everybody who's attending here today that it's been proven over and over and over that ethanol is not going to hurt your vehicle. Uh, I personally have a, a 1999 Oldsmobile Aurora that has 380,000, or I'm sorry, 280,000 miles on it that for the past five years has run on E30. And that is not a flex fuel vehicle. It was a car that was made to run on straight gasoline, actually, uh, uh, premium gasoline. It has a higher compression engine in it. So it loves the octane that is in E30 because that's what ethanol is, is octane. So I just want to urge you as you, you hear the, the, 
half-truths or what I call lies about this, dig into it for yourself and look at all the millions of people who have driven billions of miles uh, on ethanol in their cars. And uh, we don't have cars sitting all over the side of the road dead because of ethanol. There's also a lot of opportunities that are out there. Biocampuses is one thing that we would like to see start happening at our uh, ethanol facilities. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, of other things that can be made from ethanol. Basically anything that can be made with petroleum can be made with ethanol. So there's all kinds of opportunities that could, could uh, partner with our, our existing ethanol plants. There's low carbon fuel standards being discussed. There's a Midwest low carbon fuel standard being discussed. And for you producers who are attending today, that's exciting for you too, because it takes into account and uh, hopefully can be set up to where it pays you for sequestering carbon in your soil. So that's really exciting and uh, it shows some promise. High efficiency automobiles. We've been working with an organization called the uh, Ag Auto Ethanol Working Group now for several years. And autos actually have what's called a high efficiency engine. It's a high compression engine, oftentimes using uh, uh, other, other technologies to help uh, bring that compression of that engine up. And uh, what's needed there in those is octane and ethanol provides that octane. We see that with these engines that the sweet spot is around is between E25 and E30, right around E27, E28 is where they, they work their best and run the most efficient. And um, this is just great technology and you don't see any fuel or any uh, miles per gallon lag in with these engines. And um, now we just have to get convinced that this is what we need to do and get EPA moving towards that and uh, these automobiles produced. I, I'm, I'm just gonna make a, a quick statement here on this while we're talking about automobiles that if we don't soon get worked out on how do we lower the greenhouse gas emissions coming from internal combustion engines, we are gonna completely lose the uh, liquid fuel market due to electric vehicles. Now, some say it's 30 years out, some say it's 15 years out, but it's becoming more and more real every day. I'm not gonna sit here and, and, and try to say how long it will be before we have uh, a lot of electric vehicles on the road, but it will get pushed more and more if we don't, from the liquid fuels part, start doing more to reduce the greenhouse gases and ethanol is the way to do that. Another technology that is out there is clear flame engine technologies. This is a new one uh, that has come on and basically they're taking a, a diesel engine and making just a few modifications to it and running it on 100% ethanol. And it's still getting the same torque, the same efficiency, the same power out of that uh, diesel engine than what they are on diesel fuel. So this is really exciting and has the potential to use a lot of ethanol. And then of course exports as we had talked about before. Another thing, and as I talk about uh, personal, personal things that you can do, is E15. And I'm, I'm coming up short on time here, so I'm going to, have to go over this real fast. But as I mentioned, E15 is uh, uh, available at a lot of different stations now. If you don't have it in your community, please ask your, your local retailer that, to, uh, to, that you want to use E15 and ask them to explore getting it into their station. But the main thing I want to point out here, if we went from all E10 that's dispensed today to all E15, let's just say we, we took all the E10 out, put E15 in its place, we would use another 7.1 billion gallons of ethanol nationwide. That's huge. That equates 
to 2.54 billion bushels of corn. What's our carryover been the past few years? Right around there, hasn't it? Wouldn't it be great to get that carryover down a lot more and start getting more for your, for your corn that you take to your ethanol plants and that you take into your local elevators? That's one way we can do it. And I wanna task each and every one of you that's uh, uh, attending today, just start using more E15. It's not gonna hurt your vehicle. Not gonna hurt it at all. And I think you'll even like it. People say, well, it decreases my miles per gallon. Quit thinking in miles per gallon and start thinking in terms of cost per mile. That's the way that you have to look at it. So tomorrow, the ethanol industry works very closely with the U.S. Grains Councils. As I said before, they are working very close with Brazil, Canada, India, China, Japan, and Mexico. Those are the big, big uh, ones right now that really could uh, import a lot of American ethanol. And as I mentioned before, even though we saw China drop off in 2018 and 19, we saw 1.55 billion gallons of U.S. ethanol that was exported. That's 548 million bushels of corn equivalent. But the, the, um, the goal by 2022 is to export 4 billion gallons. It could be done. It could be done. And uh, hopefully it will be done. So with that, I am going to stop and I will uh, unshare my screen, Jessica. And uh, if there's any questions, I am more than happy to spend whatever time we need to take care of those questions. Yeah, so go ahead and please uh, enter your questions into the chat box as they come up. Um, but the question that, that's uh, lingering from your conversation is, is China not importing ethanol at all or just not importing from the United States? Basically, it would be not importing from the United States. They have been receiving some Brazilian ethanol um, in, in there, but the reason why they're not exporting from the United States or importing from the United States is because of tariffs. Right now, there's a, it's either 70 or 75% tariff on ethanol going into China, which just makes it to where it's too cost prohibitive in order to, to bring uh, American ethanol into China. There has been some instances where it's gone uh, in a roundabout way and gone into China. American ethanol has maybe gone into Saudi Arabia and then been picked up and gone into China and they can claim that it was Saudi Arabian uh, ethanol, but uh, that's been very, very little and nothing like what we would normally be uh, exporting to China. So staying on the export route, um, what has happened to get to 4 billion gallons of ethanol exports? Or what has to happen? To right. Okay. As I mentioned, China is uh, predicted to be a 2 billion gallon market. Mexico is predicted to be a 1 billion gallon market. If we can get Mexico to go to E10. And of course, China is planning on going to E10. So there's 3 billion of that 4 billion right there. Well, as you saw on my slide, our exports for 2018, 2019 were over a billion gallons. So if we could pick up those two countries and continue with the countries that we have, which I think it was like 69 different countries that uh, were exported to to get that over a billion gallons, there's your 4 billion gallon right there. So it's very realistic, very doable. We just have to get our trade going again. And well, let me back up. And Mexico has some policies that they need to get in place first too. Our next question is, when do you think the ethanol plants will be up and running again after the COVID shutdown? Yeah, that's a really good question. If, if I could uh, wave my wand, it would be today. Unfortunately, I don't have that crystal ball and I don't have my magic wand. Um, 
we are steadily seeing uh, gas usage continue to go up week after week. And as that goes up, it, it uh, will of course bring ethanol usage up, which will then as ethanol usage goes up and stocks continue to decrease, more plants will be able to come back online. Um, I, I wish we knew what COVID-19 was gonna do. Are we going to have a second wave? We just don't know uh, what's going to happen there. So in order to make a prediction, I, I, I just can't say on that. Um, I hope that maybe I have kind of under put in there kind of the underlying things of why you can't make a prediction on that. And another thing that we do have to be careful of is it's going to take us a while to get back up to the levels that we were. You know, let's, let's say we get a vaccine and everybody's free to go about and do whatever they want to do again, like we were prior to COVID-19, and our, our driving gets back up to about that same, same level. It's going to take time to get there to that same level. And the last thing we want to have happen is every plant in the United States start back up and flood the market again to where then it's a completely, um, well, it's an even worse economic situation for our plants because they're producing at a loss again. So uh, that's one thing that I know the ethanol industry is going to try to avoid. It's, it's very tough to do though, a very tough thing to do. But I, I know the ethanol industry will work on trying to bring this up in a manner to where they don't hurt themselves economically and, and start producing too fast. Yeah, so along that, those lines, what price does ethanol need to be um, for plants to be profitable? There again, there's a lot of variables that go in there. Uh, right now, I have heard of some profitability at the price that it's at, and it's about about a dollar fifteen, dollar twenty, I believe, is is right around where ethanol is at at the time. So, um, but then the price of corn, <clears throat> corn is at a lower price. So, in some situations, I've heard of some plants that uh, aren't carrying any debt load that they can actually make a little bit of money at this at that point, uh, but. Um, as, as the price of corn starts to go back up, which it, it will, and we all hope that it will uh, for you producers and actually for everybody. Uh, I know ethanol plants, uh, they too realize that there's, there's a place where everybody needs to be making money on it. And, and that's what the ethanol plants want too. But um, uh, for the past, oh, three or four years, prices have been running at about a 130 or so right around in there, I believe. Would that be about right, Jessica? I don't know if you track that real close, but to be right around in that area. And as you saw from my, my graph there, we were bouncing in and out of uh, profitability uh, over the, the last three years. So I wish I could tell you that, uh, yeah, $1.45 is where the, uh, where the break-even price is, but there's just too many variables that come in there. And Jessica, if you, from your economics, if you can want to expand on that a little bit more, you go right ahead. You know, without the numbers in front of me, I'd, I'd hate to do that, but we can follow up um, on that specific question a little bit later. Um, another question that's come in is, is there any consensus in the ethanol industry for what they would like to see happen for federal ethanol policy when the RFS sunsets in 2022? What actually happens in 2022 is that the RFS doesn't necessarily sunset the RFS will continue on after 2022. It's just written in the original RFS law 
that after 2022, the EPA then is, is then in control of the renewable fuel standard. So um, it's, I know it's kind of a misunderstanding that the, that the RFS is going to disappear after 2022. But let's just say the RFS, uh, based upon how EPA has been uh, handling things over the past few years, I don't want to get too political here, but uh, how they've been handling things over the past few years, let's say after we come to 2023 and EPA says, nope, we're doing away with the RFS. That is one of the reasons why we're working on, on uh, low carbon fuel standards. And um, basically, it's, uh, if you look at uh, California's um, low carbon fuel standard that they have, it's been a very successful program. Uh, California relies on ethanol for the majority of their greenhouse gas reduction in, in the state of California. So those are the areas that we're trying, that we're working on now and uh, trying to get more of those um, clean fuel standards across the, the nation. So another question that's come through is, as a small producer, would you recommend continuing to sell my corn to the ethanol plant this year? It seems more risky than selling to the co-op based on what happened this year. Wow, that's, I'm sorry, I'm not giving very good answers here on, on, on some of these uh, economics. Um, I, I guess I'm gonna go back to, when I was farming, I, I always uh, would try to lock as much in as I felt comfortable locking in. So I was guaranteed a price, whether that would be an ethanol plant or whether that would be with my local local um, cooperative. And I know right now of uh, getting a good price to, to forward contract is, is probably difficult no matter where you go. Um, I, I think my best advice, uh, you're talking to a guy who went broke farming, so <laughs> maybe I'm not the best to answer that. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to say to sell to one or the other, because then I'm going to have one or the other that's, that's getting mad at me for, for saying that if, that, if that makes sense. So I'm sorry I didn't answer your question. Our next question is, could you talk a bit about um, another ethanol industry product, corn oil, will lower ethanol production hurt this market going forward? And this is a shout out to you from Dave Fulton, who is a, uh, from Farnham. Oh, hi, Dave. Long time no see. So yes, uh, we've seen it, the co-products all along here, as, as we've seen plants that have idled down uh, distillers grains. We've had livestock producers who have had to make changes to their rations uh, as far as their, their protein goes and um, things that they're putting into their rations due to the fact that they were having trouble getting the distillers grains. So as we decrease in that production, uh, of course you're going to have less corn oil coming out and uh, for those industries that are using that corn oil, uh, it's, uh, you could see um, uh, shortages there, which as those shortages come along, you see higher prices. We saw it with distiller grains, but uh, now with plants coming back on, we are seeing prices come down a little bit uh, on those distiller's grains. And likewise with the corn oil, we'll, we'll do the same thing. Another question about China. Um, how likely is it that China is able to get a 10% blend of ethanol in their gasoline? Uh, up until last year, they had a, a national um, edict, I guess you could call it, 
uh, that they were going to go national with E10. And uh, then uh, towards the end of 2019, they backed off on that. Of course, they were starting to see COVID-19 at the end of 2019 in China, and they backed off on that. But you still have some precincts within China that are going ahead with the E10 anyway and doing E10. Um, so um, I think as the economy improves and as China uh, starts pulling out of, of their downturn from, due to COVID-19, you'll see more and more precincts within China uh, being interested in that. I mean, China has to do something. I don't know if, if you've been to China, you have seen what the air is like there and they simply have got to do something in order to bring their their pollution levels down and ethanol is one way that they can do that without making huge changes to uh, their their transportation uh, strategies to their infrastructure on fueling and everything that goes along with that so i think it's a very good chance that uh, e10 could come in nationwide across china within the next few years but for us to capitalize on that we've got to get the tariff rates down well, thank you, Roger, and thank you everyone for joining us today. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.